0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 6 of our Vested Finance Podcast. My name is Kaihan Lit. I'm an editor at Vested, calling in from Singapore. I'm your co-host for today's session. My co-host today is Darwin Arafin, a co-founder at Vested, who is recording from the US. Welcome, Darwin. Thanks, Kai. Glad to be here. But first... The topics discussed and the opinions expressed in this podcast are purely for your information purposes and represent only the opinions of the individuals and not vested finance. Furthermore, the material in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice and should not be relied upon to make any investment decisions. You should consult with your own financial advisor before making any investment decisions. This episode is going to be a bit different. I will be interviewing John Metzler, a 5G expert and also an instructor from University of California, Berkeley Haas. And on to the interview. Happy to be hosting episode six of our podcast. John was actually my instructor when I was at Berkeley. He taught me everything I know about business, strategy, and technology.
1: Thanks for having I don't know if I need to teach you anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, <laughs> you were awesome you. to have in class. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here.
0: You're too kind. Thank you for being so gracious with your time. The reason we want to talk to you today is 5G has been on the news, especially with Apple's announcement yesterday. We're hoping you can yes. give our listener a bit of a primer of what 5G is, You know what's happening in the landscape, how this can change the consumer technology space. With that, let's start with what is 5G? We've heard this term bandied about for the past year and a half now but most people don't actually understand what 5G is. Can you give us an explanation of what that means?
1: Sure. 5G you know, the fifth generation of cellular technology, not to be confused with Wi-Fi. These upgrades occur basically once a decade. So we're at the top of a new cycle of investment in network technology rollout. Your listeners might remember that 4G started to roll out in 2010 uh, here in the US, Verizon was first, 3G started to roll out worldwide in 2000. They generally have a 10-year a increment between them. What's been interesting with this particular generation is the amount of messaging. We've heard about it going back a few years. With 4G, Ericsson and others weren't putting ads on TV telling you about it. This time, we've had the not just the telcos, but the equipment providers and others talking about what 5G could mean in terms of... Not just traditional consumer cellular, but perhaps more transformative kind of public sector or enterprise services. That's been really interesting instinct. Some operators will say that they get excited with the odd number generations that they really get into their marketing. And then certainly there was a lot of excitement around 3G as well, whereas the 3G to 4G transition kind of was quieter, if that makes sense.
0: So 5G is the next evolution of wireless technology. It's supposed to be a lot faster and in some cases a lot cheaper per unit data. You recently published a paper, which we'll link on the show notes, about 5G. You used the highway analogy to describe 5G. More cars can be fit into the same width of highway at a lower cost per car. And also in the paper, you mentioned that 5G is not this one homogeneous thing. It's actually an implementation of multiple approaches branded as 5G. You can deploy 5G with either low-band spectrum, mid-band, or high-band spectrum and all of these approaches with their different pros and cons. Low band offers the least speed increase with faster rollout because you get the most coverage per poles or devices that you deploy. While high band gives you the most speed boost in terms of data transmission perspective, but lowest penetration. It does not penetrate through walls that well. So you need a lot more signal broadcasting device on the ground, which means deployment is slower and requires a lot more capital expenditures. Depending on the network you are on and their approach on deployment, your experience will vary. So let's now shift gears and talk about the transitional change between the different generations. For every generational change, you have 2G that gives us text messaging, maybe with a little bit of pictures. But I remember web page loads extremely slowly. And then 3G gave us internet access on our mobile device. There's browsers, basic apps, pictures, and email. And with this, the rise of social media, it became the enabling technology. 4G gave us more bandwidth. Now we're able to stream audio and video, even more social media, even more streaming services such as Spotify and Netflix. What will 5G bring?
1: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned your experience going from generation to generation. You also mentioned the iPhone. The first iPhone wasn't even a 3G phone. The 2007 yeah. iPhone on um, the ATT was 2.5G, was-, was Edge. Apple was being cautious. They weren't all that confident at and 3G network, so they went with 2.5G, and, and they were criticized for it, but I think they were making a decision out of caution. They would rather have a good enough experience than overpromise and have a you know disappointing experience. And so that's informative now, as you think about Apple making 5G a core part of the event messaging this week. Historically, they've been cautious about hyping the network. So the fact that they really embedded 5G in, in the event. You could say, one of two things, one, they, they, they're they believers or they were looking for something really to emphasize. To get folks to upgrade the phone it went from two and a half to 3g and just the mobile web and then apps because remember the app store didn't exist with the first iphone i remember my first experience with 4g was it's funny to say this it sounds all say but just like attachments got easier you, you didn't have the hourglass spinning as you were trying to download something so download of attachments but also upload and it turns out the upload part was pretty profound because that sort of enables sharing if you want to post Certainly images and to a lesser extent video that experience got a lot better when 4G came along. The, the interesting part about that, if you were to ask operators, network operators in 2008, what 4G would have been for, you know, a lot of them had been like telehealth uh, video calling and they were sort of right, but not necessarily a time video calling has happened through WhatsApp and other over-the-top services. It didn't necessarily come out of the telcos. It came organically from the kind of the venture community. Then there's 5G. And and what's interesting about 5G is there's a lot more potential variance in service and an operator go-to-market. With 4G, 3G got better. It was sort of a linear Upgrade, like your smartphone got better and you experienced some delight, but it wasn't like a wholly different transformative experience. Whereas with 5G, you have a few different paths. And one is linear, kind of what T-Mobile is doing with low spectrum. It'll feel like fast 4G probably because it's narrow bandwidth, it's five megahertz paired. So they'll have good coverage, but maybe not a ton of bandwidth. I suspect, you know, a customer's experience would feel kind of like 4G. There's what's called mid-band spectrum. Um, which is like between two and a half gigahertz and six gigahertz that hasn't really been rolled out at scale yet but i would predict something that's sort of like wi-fi you know portable defined area fast but maybe not mobile and then there's what's verizon's come out with the high band spectrum or millimeter wave spectrum which is transformative if you're in a place so if you are in a defined space a warehouse parking lot y- you can do something really transformative but spatially limited.
0: When you say spatially limited, the high band, you mean the lack of the ability of the spectrum to penetrate walls? Correct.
1: So the coverage right. contours are pretty small. If you think about Wi-Fi, which is 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz, doesn't really propagate all that far. The coverage is pretty small. It doesn't propagate through walls, but you'll have a very spatially defined experience. So in a room, in a place, in a theater. when that space, it'll be fantastic, <laughs> but you're not going to be you may not experience it, let's just say on the highway. The use case of you give your kid a, a device in the back seat, it's not for that. So That variance is different, and so that's why the question of, well, okay, what, what's 5G like? Requires a longer answer, because the flavors will be different. Like when you go get your ice cream, it, it won't be kind of everything's vanilla or chocolate, you're gonna have a whole bunch of different choices. And, Hopefully, consumers will be educated about their choices and the operators will be responsible in their messaging.
0: There's this concept of higher value at stake that you mentioned in the paper. Yeah. Can you elaborate yeah. what that means in the context of 5G?
1: Well, it was funny you mentioned 5G kind of marketing earlier and you really started to see it in 2016. That the community really talking about all the transformative things 5G would and could do. Whereas cellular today really has been kind of an expected contour. There's embedded devices. You can support things like cars and vending machines, but it's done really well supporting consumer smartphones. And here, operators were talking about healthcare and factories and retail and a bunch of industries that telco operators really haven't touched all that much directly before. Inherently, you are serving a much more diverse set of customers. You'll probably have a more diverse set of partners and devices. You'll have more diverse data sets. And the value of connectivity to those customers will be different. If my smartphone blue screens briefly, I'll be annoyed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, no one dies. Whereas, so if you're connecting a factory, if you're connecting a city system, the consequences of outages, or cyber incident would be higher. That's not unknown in business. In IT services, you have service level agreements, levels of uptime, things like that. In a way, things I just described are sort of inherent to the IT services community. They're not known, but they're newer to network operations. I feel like there's a mashup between the IT services market and the network operator market because of 5G and and this diversity of applications.
0: It it sounds like this is an opportunity of time expansion, total addressable market expansion for the telco providers. Previously, IoT has been bandied about for the last decade, but we really haven't seen a, a deep and wide penetration of IoT. And any IoT device, especially in the home, First and foremost, connects to the Wi Fi. And as you mentioned with 5G, now you may have Wi Fi type speed everywhere, uh, unfeathered to right. your internet uh, at home. And right. one key aspect that you mentioned in the paper is that not only it's higher speed, but per unit data, the cost is lower. And this may lead to -to machine-to-machine communication and or sensor. But I think historically, human beings are really bad at predicting the the killer (laughs) application of their invention. So it's great to talk about, but what you're saying is it's too early to find out.
1: And that's why I mentioned what operators were talking about in 2008 versus what actually happened. Operators in 2008 were talking a lot about video conferencing and telehealth. Telehealth, they backed away from four reasons outside whether the network fits, you know, there was management of customer or patient data and things like that, that they hadn't really thought through, but you know, 4G ended up being used for a different thing than was originally hypothesized. And so a- absolutely that will happen with 5G too. Once the playpen is built, developers would come along like, Oh, you can do this. I, I do fully expect there to be transformed experiences akin to what the operators imagined, but also very different too. once you have something probably available. But to your earlier point, yeah, the addressable market, you know, traditional mobile industry is about a trillion dollar industry. And some of the industries that the operators are talking about themselves are trillion dollar industries. So by definition, if you're a network operator, the addressable market is larger. You know, not all that spend goes to network transport fees, right? There's equipment and software and things, but the network operator presumably touch some of that. So their addressable market does go up, but the consequences of outages could be pretty pernicious. If you have a smart city that's connected to a network and that ends up being the vector for hacking, well, that's city services you're talking about, like people getting paid, getting their benefits. So the consequences of outages could be pretty pernicious once you start supporting public sector enterprise
0: customers shifting gear a little bit here another key concept that network persists and i think i i love this concept the most especially in the context of sprint i remember yes yeah do you mind sharing the story of the misadventures of sprint to our listeners For context, for our listeners, in the US, there Mm -hmm. are four large telco providers, T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, and Sprint. Sprint was the number three for a long time. It was acquired by SoftBank, and it since struggled due to the bad investment in the wrong technology leading up to 4G and now was recently sold as SoftBank was trying to clean up its balance sheet to T-Mobile and that merger was approved.
1: Yes. So at least all the blockers are gone and the marketing is starting to be integrated. You have a big three in the U S market, right? And so the Sprint brand, I expect will be slowly but surely deprecated. But so the concept of network persists, you can kind of verify empirically all around us the plug you have in the wall. And you know, that standard hasn't been upgraded in a long time. For those using copper telephony, you know, that standard is 100 years old. So stuff that's built tends to stick around. Is kind of the first aspect of that. Networks persist, and you see this in cellular. In the U.S., AT and T is shut down 2G. Verizon has not. T-Mobile has not. So pause and reflect on that. 2G, which came out, you know, 3G was coming out in about 2000 and thereafter. 2G has been on since the 90s. Right. And those networks are still on. So, you know, what that implies, you know, there are a few implications of that. One, whatever wonderful features exist in the newer generation of network, it still has to coexist with whatever shortcomings the previous generation had. So, 5G is coming out, it's going to coexist with 4G for a really long time, right? 4G is not going to go away anytime soon. But it also means, you know, once you've invested, you're stuck with whatever you've invested in. So, you need to make really good and thoughtful investment decisions. And that's why network operators tend to be pretty cautious about technology adoption. Not just the technology, but who they buy from. They like to buy from companies they know. That's why they buy from Ericsson, Huawei, Nokia, companies they've worked with before. But if you do make a mistake, the consequences are huge. And that's sort of the Sprint story. So Sprint, you know, originally was a spin out of the long distance company Sprint. It was the wireless pure play. That's not a Sprint. They adopted Qualcomm. CDMA, you know, made in America, in the 1990s. And the thing to know there is it was probably better technology, but it was also a minority technology. CDMA had about 30% of the markets. You're already working with, in a way, a minority player. And then they bought Nextel. And Some of your listeners might remember push-to-talk phones. That was sort of the thing that characterized Nextel. Nextel had a further minority technology called IDEN. Now you have minority operators, CDMA, buying and trying to integrate company using a kind of a dead end technology called IDEN and the, the integration was challenging and then 2008 4G on the horizon it's amazing to think about in retrospect we actually had a 4G standards battle between LTE and WiMAX the 4G you're using now is most likely LTE WiMAX is kind of a Galapagos dead end but Sprint adopted WiMAX right so minority technology position owner of a further minority that's another minority and that explains Sprint's straits since then. Those two decisions in 2005, 2008 led to challenges in network management. They had to migrate away from those technologies eventually to LTE. That was very time consuming. And they're bleeding customers the whole time due to network performance issues. Sprint going from number three to number four on the market kind of organically, you can attribute to that. And T-Mobile was able to buy them for much less than they would have, say, years ago. So that's, if you were on the trace, the story of Sprint and how they went from a vibrant number three player to an ailing number four, you would look at their network technology investments.
0: Going back to the original question, you mentioned that with 5G technology, there's a lot more variance. Does that mean in terms of standards or technology infrastructure build out as these four big companies are now spending billions, tens of billions of dollars, will there be a repeat of the Sprint story?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Differences is in build out requirements. So T-Mobile is using low band spectrum that used to be television spectrum. Interesting. So designed to carry long distances, not very wide bandwidth. But what that means is T-Mobile can pretty much cover the U.S. quickly. So they've got a big time to market advantage uh, on a coverage basis, not just like on a capacity basis, but on coverage. more quickly with a 5G offering. That's not necessarily transformative. It's like 4G plus in a way.
0: I see. So you're saying, in other words, T-Mobile is focusing on faster geographic expansion by using low-band spectrum that offers a bit faster speed over 4G, but offers wider coverage. Then it can install less equipment to get nationwide coverage into the U.S. as fast as it can, which is a different approach than Verizon's.
1: Verizon, with its high band spectrum, yeah, it basically has to acquire probably another order of magnitude cell sites on which to put its infrastructure. You think of Wi-Fi if you're in the city and there's kind of little access points in every corner. It's like that. (laughs) They need to get access to all these pole tops and bus stops and buildings to put infrastructure down. And that's a super time-consuming and expensive process. And the work also includes pulling fiber to those sites. So it's not just the access point or antenna, it's the fiber going up to it. It's a long, slow, expensive rollout, and that's why Verizon's really scrolled out on a city-by-city basis, because it takes longer, more site acquisition required, and also it gives them the opportunity to work out the formula.
0: I see. So in contrast, Verizon gives you the high-speed, high-band implementation, but this approach requires more sites to go up because the per-site geographical coverage is low.
1: What that means is they're going to surrender a time-to-market advantage to T-Mobile doing that. And then AT&T, I think, is still, AT&T has historically been a little less aggressive with new technology rollouts. That was the same case for 3G, it was for 4G. That's one of the reasons Apple's 4G phone was a little bit late. AT&T put out 4G in 2011. Apple came out with a 4G iPhone in 2012. They've been historically kind of been a wait-and-see and cautious as it relates to rolling out new generations of technology. I mean, I guess I don't see them doing anything wildly crazy. <laughs> yeah, they tend to see how things go and then and then roll out on their own.
0: In your paper, you mentioned that both Reliance Geo in India and Rakuten mm-hmm. Mobile in Japan, they've kind of represent new looks at the network app operator business model. Can you elaborate yes. on this? Yeah, so
1: it's interesting. And and some of your listeners may have experience with Reliance. Yeah. Reliance came in, so usually there aren't greenfield telcos, new telcos coming in, a 4G or 5G. Every Telco, network company you might buy from, it has the benefit of incumbency, and and also has all the legacy of prior generations of technology. So this huge tech debt that they have to support. So they can't be, they can't do a wholesale redesign of their networks because they're already running, they're already supporting live customers. And so that's why it's really interesting when Ryan's came in with a 4G only network without any legacy. And they came in basically and offered free service for a year. Now they're one of the dominant mobile operators in India, and they'll be rolling out 5G. The architect from Rural Alliance, a gentleman named Tariq Amin, was hired by Rakuten in Japan, right? So now he's working for Rakuten in their 4G network. And they're trying to design Telco as a platform for other people to build services. And that's a really interesting experiment. It's a redesign of the Telco model. They're positioning themselves more as a platform than as a network operator. You know, they're still getting 5G off the ground, so honestly, the jury's out. If they can do anything like what Reliance did in India, it will really transform the market in Japan. The offering offering they have for 4G is not priced as aggressively as Reliance did. They didn't come out with free for a year, which is, I wish they had, because that really would have disrupted the market. But you have a new entrant that's trying to be creative, and maybe liven up a somewhat, what I call an oligopolized market.
0: When you say platform, do you mean like, so in India, Reliance, as you mentioned, Network persists. they didn't have a network. So they start with digital-only 4G, they undercut the competitors, and they started building low-cost devices, $30, $50, US dollars, and they're starting to build the stack from a telco provider to the digital app and creating a super app. They're creating clones for a lot of different apps. I mean, you want to clone it? Yes. of Zoom built by Reliance, there's one. Are you saying that Rakuten is doing something similar in Japan?
1: Yeah, the language I'm hearing from them is a little bit more enterprise focus. They're talking much more about using as a platform for transformation of industries. But I think Reliance gives a little bit of an idea of the playbook. The network part of Reliance engaged, you know, incurred the customer acquisition costs, basically gave people free lives for a year, and now they're layering services on top. And you've seen the flow of capital into them. Heroic capital <laughs> raise this year. And so that's really been transformative. In a way, India is an interesting place to do that because some of the services here, the upper layer services aren't as prevalent. Mm. There's opportunity to create kind of Reliance versions of those there. The... An platform is a little more TBD as to whether they'll vertically integrate services like Reliance. They're really more focusing on what I call in- industrial digital transformation. So this network as a service idea for industry. And if half of it comes true, that will be really exciting. And so I'm keeping a close eye on them.
0: That. Yeah, that's interesting because when... Reliance did what they did. It was largely white space in terms of yeah. mobile internet penetration and apps ecosystem in India, but Japan is a lot more mature. It's even a lot more mature than the U.S. in terms of their yeah. headset technology and apps. Yeah, it's, it's funny you
1: mentioned that. When Rakuten said they were gonna do a carrier, I thought they were crazy. Like not, not just a, a virtual network operator, but like actually build their own infrastructure. I'm like, is this the best use of capital? for them right you know they're essentially the Amazon Japan is the best allocation of capital for them creating a actual facilities based network operator but but if they do that in this transformative way I think that will be super interesting and so one to watch I guess I probably said enough there
0: yeah all right I guess final question if we fast forward Uh five ten years we have deep penetration can you paint us a picture of what the world looks like Super open-ended. Yeah. So there's a big if.
1: And the big if is if Verizon rolls out millimeter wave, if the spectrum holders of mid-band, which is most of them. T-Mobile has some at and I think Verizon roll out mid-band. If that happens, then you'll have very pervasive, very high bandwidth connectivity, kind of like your Wi-Fi experience on steroid. And at that point, things get really interesting on both the consumer side and on the enterprise side. If you have pervasive, not cellular kind of 4G speed, I'll just call it enhanced Wi-Fi, (laughs) speeds everywhere, then I think life gets really interesting. Is that consumer experiences? Is it enterprise experiences? I'm not totally sure yet. I think the jury's out on that. The interesting thing about 5G is they're really trying to address, address both markets at the same time like come out with innovative experiences for consumers and then come out with innovative experiences for enterprise. The latter at least will require a really good channel program to kind of use in IT services markets. But five years is enough time for all the requisite site acquisition and kind of network rollout. So five years, we should really be in the full swing of what 5G looks like, at least in the US and a lot of other developed markets. If you were to look at companies that would be well positioned, I have two hypotheses and you remember cable, You know, cable TV was historically community access TV. Why did you have community access TV? It's because your broadcast television had poor reception, right? So if you were on the wrong side of a hill and you couldn't get over the TV, you had cable. And slowly but surely over the decades, those were rolled up into companies like Comcast and Spectrum. And I would foresee that happening in the site host operation business, like all these companies that roll out. Five G networks, not for service, but the actual real estate players. I foresee a roll up in that happening over a period of time. Interesting players there: American Tower, Crown Castle, SBA. There's a bunch of tower hosting players that are pretty big in the U.S. So I'm very curious as to that, how that looks. I know that's a real estate play and not a connection. That's interesting
0: because, I mean, a similar trend happened with the rise of e-commerce, right? The real estate play yes. for you know warehouse and distribution. And same with cloud computing, yes. the real estate play for data centers. Ah, that's a very interesting yes. angle.
1: Yes. So there's a real estate. So if you have near you some poles, you can kind of roll up and rent out. <laughs> you know, that's your first land grab. To rent.
0: Got it. Yeah. I wonder if there's a REIT for this yet. <laughs> interesting.
1: Well, there are. So American Tower and Crown Castle are both REITs, they're both high yield. I'm not stumping for them. You know, the business model is essentially once you have a pole, you put as many antennas on it possible right. and I, abs- I absolutely see opportunities real estate there and of course if they do that well that means we'll have pervasive 5g networks
0: with the high band approach you're going to be needing a lot more of these sites
1: a lot, a lot. an order so of magnitude
0: like, more right
1: yeah every pole top is gonna to have something on it and you see them down like in the city now like all the the lampposts every third one will have a little cone on it that's for cellular And it's going to be every pole top and every streetlight will need to have something on. If you really want high band 5G to work.
0: Is it either or? Can you extract the most out of 5G without the high band? Yeah.
1: So and then it's more what I'd call iterative or evolutionary. T-Mobile gets national with its low band, which is 600 megahertz. And then they start refarming some of their spectrum. They have AWS spectrum, 1700 megahertz, 2100 megahertz. So let's say they refarm that towards 5G. Yeah, I mean, it will be faster, less latency, but it'll be more evolutionary than revolutionary. But yes, you can absolutely get to national and high bandwidth coverage uh, without high band spectrum. And I think T-Mobile very consciously chose low band as a less expensive way to get to market with something. And then they're gonna work on layering on uh, higher bandwidth services. Gotcha.
0: Well, those are all the questions I have, John. Thank you so much for your time today. All
1: right, thank you. Uh, Thanks for reaching out. Uh, A pleasure catching up and I can't wait to listen.
0: Yeah, chat soon. Thank you. All right, sounds good,
1: thanks.